Welcome to John F. Kennedy University's Soapbox Podcast, featuring top minds speaking on a variety of topics important in today's world. Welcome, everybody, to the John F. Kennedy Soapbox Podcast. I am your host, Ben Olmos, and today we are sitting down with Andrea McRae, and Hello. we are going to be talking about activism at the local level, which I think is gonna be a great topic because this is something that I think given recent uh, political events, we're seeing a lot more activity at the local level. But beyond politics, this is just a great strategy for making sure that your voice is heard and kind of helping people understand how to get organized. So, great, Andrea, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about being able to, to talk about this stuff because, of course, I'm just figuring it out myself. So <laughs> there's going to be a little bit of soundboarding here. And as far as, you know, I just want to clarify, it's, it's activism at the local level but on national projects. That's, that's kind of what we've been, been looking at and that's, that's the experience that I have is, is we got involved with national projects but we're staying local. So yeah, so this isn't about getting the county supervisor elected. No. This is about making change at a national level. So my example is about <laughs> making change at a national level. In fact, in somebody else's local, and I'll go over that. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's not about being, being active in my neighborhood for a neighborhood project. Right. Because, uh, you know, well, I'll just tell you the whole story. Um, sure. So uh, uh, primarily I'm involved with a group called the Sister District Project and I'm one of their regional local organizers for um, or Sister District Project California 13. Um, and California 13 is the congressional district, which is how we were originally organized, um, that encompasses uh, a lot of the East Bay. So um, Berkeley, Albany, um, Oakland, and down to uh, as far as San Leandro. Um, and we have Barbara Lee. So the problem that we have, um, and we're mostly on the left, um, is uh, we love Barbara Lee, who's our representative. She's very much uh, uh, um, probably a left to center leftist. Um, uh, and she right now, she speaks for me and nobody's listening to her <laughs> because we had this little election in 2016. Um, and uh, well, the world kind of, as far as we were concerned, went to hell in a handbasket. And we all decided we need to do something, and there's really not a lot to do at the local level. We we choose between Democrats for all of our seats, so you know we've got some opinions, but it's nothing that's the, that's what we see as like the catastrophe that's happening in the rest of the nation. So, how do you what do you do, and how do you um, how do you start a movement if it's just you? And that's kind of where I started okay. <laughs> with this. So. Um, I'll tell you the brief story. We all, oh, I say we now, but at the, back then it was, it was just me. And I really thought, oh, me and all of my panicking friends um, who went, oh, oh my gosh, we've, we've screwed this up. So um, none of us, or none of the people I knew at the time were politically active before. Some people had done phone banks, some people had done a little bit of canvassing, but for the most part, um, no politics. Um, and this happened and I turned to my husband and I said, well, what am I going to do now? And he said, well, I, I guess you're, I've got two little kids at home. And he said, well, I guess you're not going back to work until 2018. We need to get the house back. So go get the house. Oh, okay. Well, I'll just go get the house back, shall I? <laughs> See you later. <laughs> so 
Um, I searched around on the internet, and the internet's a wonderful and, uh, and terrifying place. And I just kept posting about this problem of, we need to get the house back. And everybody else says, yes, we need to get the house back. And suddenly, you know, these organizations start coming together. We need to get the house back, so we're starting an organization. This organization is called Swing Left. This organization is called Flippable. This organization is called the Sister District Project. And there were, and Code Blue, and there, you know, there were all of these different organizations. And then there were discussions about, why are there so many organizations? So me sitting in my sister's living room at Christmas, trying to pretend like I'm paying attention as I'm, you know, on my phone, we're trying to work this out. What am I going to do if this is, right now, it seems to be this is just me. I looked at all the organizations and I looked at how they were structured. And what I saw across all of them is that they're all structured to provide individuals with something to do based on a technology platform. And this was what was happening all over the place with the resistance. And the best ones at it um, uh, is the Indivisible story, which I'm sure a lot of people know. Their technology was a PDF. That was their technology platform. Here is a PDF of a booklet that you can print out, and then you just go do it. And this was Indivisible? This is Indivisible. Okay. So I read Indivisible, but Indivisible doesn't address my problem. It, but it was a, but it, they had this great thing where they were like, this is the booklet, and the booklet is a process, and you, you put the process to your problem. So if you're... Your first step, as I would tell anybody, wherever you are on the political spectrum, is go find the original indivisible booklet and think of it as a process. So this is what I did to my different problem, because I was supposed to get the house back, according to my husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I still needed, you know, I needed to, a, a way to do this. And, you know, the number one thing threaded through that, that indivisible booklet was show up, do the work, persist, be annoying, that's your job, because it's a democracy. They had a great message in there. So eventually I found the Sister District Project, um, and that was great because, not just because um, they were looking at, at the time they were looking at getting back the house, what are we going to do? They had people doing stuff. So they had 200 people out doing research, calling the, the cam all of the Democratic campaigns across the country at the federal level and saying and asking them a bunch of questions. Why did you lose? What went wrong? And so they had these 200 researchers and they just divided collecting them all data. up. Just collecting information. So, and, and so I got involved in that. Um, but it, what I found when I got involved with the information is that the information is actually out there. You just didn't know it. But now we had 200 people who were red hot to finding out because they had connected with a campaign. And we were connected with each other because we had a Slack channel, which was all new to all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so out of, out of curiosity, I don't mean to interrupt your flow, but um, with that data, I tend to be a very data-driven guy. Mm -hmm. What Was there anything that you saw that surprised you? Surprised me? Everything surprised me because okay. I've never looked at it before. As far as, uh, as surprised the powers that be, no. Nothing at all. The, because what we found is that there's this great uh, online uh, kind of newspaper thing called Daily Cost that partnered with a, a guy whose name I used to know who's been working a nonprofit for ages to get this political information out there in spreadsheet form. And they actually had all of the information we were calling around and asking about as far as the statistics are concerned. Okay. So what we found is that the research wasn't going to pull together the research the way we thought it would. Um, all of the statistics um, we already had. 
the census gives gr gives great public st st statistics. Sure. And the federal information, there are so many nonprofits with bad graphics, so you can't find them, that actually have this information in Google spreadsheets. So the it data the data was out there, yeah. but the organization, the concentration, the popularizing it, making sure that everybody kind of knew what the data was, not so much. Not so, not so much, mostly because nobody had ever needed it before. So what got us going, and the reason, the thing that really attracted to me is here were these four women from Sister District Project who, who went, well, go, we don't know where the data is, go get it. And they empowered 200 people to just do it. And the 200 of us just kind of worked it out. And we, you know, some of us were like, oh my God, they already have this. Why didn't they know? And a lot of people were like, yeah, but I met seven people who I knew. And, and that's where the original leadership teams came from, where those Slack channels, those 200 people weeded themselves, self-sorted, and a bunch of them became the leaders at, at the local level in Sister District. And that was the key, is, is you got people doing something. And so Sister Districts became that. Okay, so then at this time, those folks who emerged as leadership within Sister District, were they also affiliated with any of these other groups? Or Oh yeah, all okay. of them. I joined okay. everything. Okay. Absolutely. So I And then you found that I mean the common theme was we need to create change. Yeah. Um, have any of these groups uh, merged or come together or does everybody still kind of work individually across all of the different groups? <laughs> well, it depends on what level you're at. Okay. So in the beginning what they what I saw a lot of the of the top level groups is is they found a niche. So sister districts found a niche and it ended up being state level elections and I'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, Indivisible found a niche and it was, it was about empowering the local. Um, uh, Flippable found a niche and their niche was state level elections but they were totally about data, not about connecting people. Whereas sister districts is primi primarily an organization of connected people rather than being heavy on why we're doing what we're doing. Those two you could probably put together and get some really good information. And swing left is kind of a hybrid of data-driven versus groups. So they all found these natural niches as, as they built these kind of organic grassroots-ish structures based on who, who turned up. So at this point, you know, we don't have groups yet. We just have these people who've been talking to each other for a couple of months thinking that they're doing data research and, and finding that, oh, somebody did it. But that's fine, because now I understand it. Yeah, no. So yeah, so now it's you good. have people who understand the process. So then the next step, you know, I'm still not in any kind of a, I still don't feel like an activist. I feel like I just, I just understand the problem that I had. So I had this problem of we've got to flip the house. That's my new responsibility. Oh, how do I do that? And we ended up with, uh, with a list, with a list of, of, okay, if we're going to flip the house, these are the easiest ones to do it. Um, this is how it works. Everybody that's in politics already knows that. But quite frankly, they're all really busy right now. And the whole thing about the new activisms is you guys need us to do stuff. So, so you knew this, but you're so busy running around trying to do your own stuff that you need other people to go discover it on their own and then add to what you do and amplify what you do. So that's what we found is suddenly you're in this, this world where the democratic clubs that are already out there are already fighting and they just need you to fill ranks and do it in a different way. Come in from a different angle. So this is what we, we started to do. So sister districts um, did the cattle call for please organize yourselves 
and they sent out a list, and I sent the list out I, of, I think we had like 400 people on the list because everybody was signing up for everything. Sent that out and ended up in this meeting um, at a woman named Rachel's house. And I walked into this meeting thinking, um, you know, three of us had kind of coordinated the meeting together, thinking this is a room of 15 people. Good, this is a good start. And we went around the room and I'm thinking, I've got 15 activists, and I didn't. What I had <laughs> was 15 group leaders. Each one of these people, bar I think two of us, came as the head of a group. And it became this thing in Berkeley for a while where you'd talk to people and be like, do you have a group? Yeah, I have a group. Oh, we, get, we have a group. Do you want to join our group? And everybody knew what you were talking about. These were all groups that just kind of, they, some of them had names, most of them did not. They formed after the election of people just like me who were like, we've got to flip the house, what are we going to do? Right. So here I am in this room with 15 or 13 groups of people. The average size was probably 30 plus an email list that, and I, that were not on our lists. And suddenly, you know, I'm like, we're like, well, who's going to lead this? And they looked at the two people who didn't yet have groups, which was me and Rachel, and they went, well, I guess you're going to lead this group. Well, all right then. <laughs> so, so, you know, there was no, like, building. It was just this, it, Berkeley is a kind of a unique place. Well, probably not unique, but it's, it's very politically active. Of this coming together, this smashing together of people with a plan. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what kind of perspective to talk about so we just picked a race and there was a, a um, by the second meeting we had decided that we'd have this process where we'd get a little committee together they'd pick a race and then we'd just kind of try stuff so we picked the Montana election and we got involved in that so there was a special election Rob Quist was running for um, the the single house seat in Montana and we just started doing stuff so we called them up um, and said, and you know, we didn't have a sister district race yet. They hadn't, the national people hadn't organized. They weren't sure how to do it. They weren't sure if it was, you know, what the legal implications were, all this stuff. So we just called the campaign and said, well, we, we, wanna, we wanna work for you. And they went, who are you? <laughs> Send us some money. <laughs> so, <laughs> group of folks from California, all yeah, of a sudden they wanna, they yeah. wanna help a Montana election. Right, I, I mean, everybody <laughs> had gotten involved in the Ossoff. Um, Right. race or, the, or flip the six so we're so we're calling we're writing postcards we're working out how to do this you know I'm, I'm giving up date night so that I can donate you know the money I would spend on a meal to to John Ossoff ever every you know once a month or whatever um, uh, I'm giving up a lot of time I'm you know this is what it takes and we're talking to each other about did you do the stuff yeah I did the stuff okay do, do the next thing well what do I have to do now do 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 and we just kept doing it so rather than taking this perspective of I'm a local citizen in my local community, you're broadening that and saying we're citizens of you know this community, but also this bigger nation, and you're seeing you know the the folks in other elections as uh, as your kind of kindred spirits, right? So yeah, well, how I'm do you lend assistance to those in need? Yeah. Would. Well, my local is America. Okay. So, yeah. so you know, I mean, like, what's your local? There, I now, now, mind you, I am from Berkeley and refuse to cross the bridge. So, you know, I'm glad this is happening in technically the East Bay, and <laughs> I didn't have to cross bridge to get there. So, uh, in that respect, you know, that's we don't cross bridges. But in every other respect, 
you know? That, that's one of those things that, yeah. for, for those listening to the podcast who are out of state, it is a very much a local, a local thing to... Well, you can't cross a bridge, because if there's an earthquake, the bridge closes down for three days. That's, that's the reason. That's the only reason, I swear. <laughs> it's not the traffic. <laughs> for, for most people, it's the traffic, but no, that, no, no, that, is, that have, is also a very valid it's reason. very valid. It's very valid. Um, yeah, so, um, so yeah, th there is this local, and I, you know, I use the example of, of you know, the food industry. Everybody went really nuts in the 90s about local food. Mm -hmm. Got to eat local food. And then they realized, my region doesn't grow bananas. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah. In my region, oh what my about God, we don't grow any coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? And you get, and you know, in a previous life, I'm a food historian. You can't eat local. You can't, if you love local, if you're a locavore, if you're, if you're a fan of, of communities and, and local people, then you, you got to support that, not yours, that. Yeah. So this was this idea is that America is full of local communities fighting local issues. To support local farmers, yeah, rather than rather than conglomerates, yeah, and sometimes even when your conglomerate is your local, so huh, how does that work? So you have to really peel back to your values, support local. Why? Okay, so if it's an environmental reason, then I can, you know, that's that's a science-based, you know. But if you're talking about supporting local communities, it doesn't necessarily have to be yours. And I, I get into this with people about you know the Bay Area. Um, we're in California. We're the fifth largest economy in in the world, and the Bay Area is is rich with with education, with uh, technology, with knowledge, with um, experience, with you know health care, all of this stuff. Where did that come from? Because we didn't grow it in Berkeley. That has has siphoned off talent and information and taxes and everything from a much wider area. All of America has gone into supporting my local. I do not have the right to close the doors and say, I'm only supporting my local. No, if I'm going to support local, I got to support Mississippi's local. I got to support Texas local. I got to support people in local communities to have viable local communities. That's what it means to support local. Given the fact that you want to see change at a national level, then the best way to invest in change is to make sure that those in a local area that maybe aren't your local, but they're, mm -hmm. they're local to your cause or your interest, that you provide support, help. Well, yeah, so, so local, is, local is, for me, being a local activist, yeah, is about supporting supporting local communities. Not not and you just don't get to in, in the East Bay say I'm only going to support mine. So you have to support local communities in in the sort of biosphere that that the communal biosphere that that you've grown up around that supported your community, and we're supported by all kinds of local communities. So we recognizing that viable local communities are the key to a. a participatory democracy, that it's just a bunch of local people stitched together, it means that if I'm going to fix a national, fix a national problem, not band-aid over a national problem, not bludgeon a national problem, but actually fix it, 
I have to support the people who have the same kind of base values that value those communities that I do. So I have to support the people who want to see the people around them educated. They want to see them drinking clean water. They want to see them feeling safe in their, in their schools, in their churches, in their, in their streets. I, the same things that I want to see in my community, I have to support the people who want to see that in their community. Because that's how we, that's how we build America. And this is what we're stuck with. And then you know, there's this wider perspective, this is how you build the whole world. This is how you, this is, empowering local is the first step. And you know, that's such a byline, and it, but this is like how we, this is how you do it. Well, and we're, we're seeing, I think, um, technology shrinking the world. And it, you know, if you think about um, the Arab Spring and Twitter and the role that Twitter played in, yeah. in that, um, it's making communities smaller. And it's making you realize that, hey, that person who lives hundreds or thousands of miles away from me is just like me. They want the same things. And so what you're trying to do then is create a model that helps to activate that. Or, yeah. you know, what they oftentimes say in business is they want diverse perspective. Mm -hmm. And so to avoid groupthink, they try and bring in people from different organizations from different you know diverse backgrounds to bring in a fresh set of eyes on things and so when you're doing the type of organizing you're doing you're taking a perspective from Berkeley and bringing that to Montana yeah yeah and the interesting thing was is when, when we hooked up with Montana the person that we hooked up with was from Berkeley because <laughs> as it turns out and this is that thing about we're all from everywhere so so she was in Bozeman and this is our first contact but she's like but I'm in touch with all these people she was being mentored by all these people in the Democratic Party in Montana and they're like they're really from Montana and they're they're a little different but but you can you know you can get through this and you could talk to them and you know and I didn't grow up in Berkeley so um, so what we're finding is this very thing that you're talking about, empowering people at the local level and, and bringing in a diverse perspective is one of the, the assets that we have in these Bay. So we worked in Montana, we worked in Virginia, and now we're working in, um, in Michigan. And what keeps happening is that as we sort of announce this is the strategic place we're going to work, you know, suddenly all these people come forward and they're like, but I'm from there. So when we worked in Montana, we had our connection was was living in Montana, and 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 that worked out really well. They let us phone bank. They let us they let us raise money. That was really interesting, um, and they let us do do all of this stuff for for the people who live there. And we didn't we didn't talk to the campaign. We talked to the other activists. So we made all these connections with um, with Big Sky Rising, and you know. Um, Personal connections, political connections, all this stuff. We shared, um, we shared information. We shared perspectives, and so you had somebody, you had a group of people that had your same base values. They cared about the thing that that you cared about, but they had a different perspective about how that works in their ecosystem. So when we went to Virginia, and we worked on the Virginia races, that was it was was tenfold. It turns out that our phone banker, our phone banking captain Patricia, um, was actually from Virginia and from that area and had gone to, uh, to, gone to college there. She had all these, and so suddenly- She kind of knows what works. Yeah, but not just knows that what works, <clears throat> but she, she, you know, she's in California, but she identifies as a Virginian. So she's like, this is where all of her friends and family were back there. We had a, a candidate named Cheryl Turpin, and we, we connected with her 
So we don't, in sister district project, we don't really talk to the candidates because they're very busy, but often they're act, the activists that are sort of volunteering around the, cam the candidates, w we get to know because, you know, we're working with them all the time. And, and they, there were so many connections. You had Cheryl Turpin, who was a, uh, a teacher, and a uh, science teacher and cared about the Chesapeake Bay and so you had education I mean we have Cal we it was great perspective we have we have a bay and people are like you have a bay we have a bay well you know what that's <laughs> not just a body of water we have the same environmental issues talking sure. about you know we'd start going on about watersheds and all this stuff so we found all of these connections with Democrats and and that's that was probably the one of the best activism things that happened is if we're going to fix our party then we need to fix it not by yelling at the people we left in charge and walked away. We need to fix it by getting on the phone and calling individually the other Democrats that need some help and talking to them. We need a phone bank. We need to get we need to text them and say, hey, I'm you know, I'm someone in California and I care about what's happening in Mississippi and I think you do too. And can I help you? This is, this is the kind of stuff we need to do. We need to write them postcards and say, hey, you know, me and my five-year-old were thinking of you, so she colored the front of this postcard, and we're hoping that you'll do the rest and go vote. I mean, we, all of this stuff, this personal connection, this is what's going to fix our party, is remembering that we are this huge group of people that share some common values. And the one we're concentrating on right now is one of the values is, is participatory democracy. We think everybody should vote. And I'm not so convinced that Republicans don't believe that as well. So Yeah, I, I would say that that is probably something that both sides want to see more of, but don't, but don't are, always. Yeah, well, because there's a big group of people who don't want to see more of that. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, would, I would venture to guess that regardless of, of party, whoever is currently in charge in that area would like to see less of the other side show up. Well, and that's one of the things we need, if that's true, uh, if that is true, and I am not an expert on the parties, um, then we need to change leadership because leadership needs to, of either kind, needs to represent everybody once they're in power. And, and so they need to want to hear those voices. So for me, if this is a value that should be, you know, I think it, it, the Democratic Party platform has it in it, we need everyone to vote. So if that's, that's a value, then we need to, to call everybody and say, we need you to vote. But it's, you know, even in our circles, there'll be people who are like, oh yeah, unless they're Republican, then you don't want them to vote. And people will turn on them. They'll be like, if you are registering people, you register every goddamn person you find. <laughs> <laughs> if they want to vote Republican, they vote Republican. But we register people to vote. That's what we do because we believe in democracy, goddammit. <laughs> so, you know, you get some of that. But so but it's more of a like subtextual joke. It's not it's sure. the true the true value is 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 y'all need to vote. Yeah. I love that perspective. I think that you're exactly right that the representative should represent both sides and should want as many people to come out and vote as possible. You know, unfortunately I think that there's a lot of there's a lot at stake for every election um, and when I say at stake what I mean by that is it seems to be more of a business than it is a people's democracy oh absolutely <laughs> 
we need to change that. But see, that's the thing is, is that you can change it here. So we've got Barbary, we've got, uh, we've got, um, you know, as blue as they come. We need to change it here, but, but we, you know, we talk to people in other parts of the state, and they're like, no, you know, you can, you can just sit for a while. You guys are doing fine. Change it somewhere it's going to matter first. Change somebody else's local first. Help them out. And, and get that representative democracy back. One of the reasons that we pick, picked working in Michigan and we asked the national body, can we please work in Michigan, is because Michigan is the most gerrymandered state. Um, there's, a, there's a measure, I can't remember the name of it, but um, it ranks them all and Michigan is the most gerrymandered state. So they've got a ballot initiative that they're trying to get up about getting a citizen redistricting committee so that they can un-gerrymander themselves from both parties and this releases it from both parties. So we were trying to help with that and then they've got another one that's called Promote the Vote that I'm more involved with um, that's about allowing people to use the best practices that we have to encourage voting. So like 90, I think I've got it written down here, yeah. 97% of eligible vote people are registered in Michigan and 63% vote because they can't vote by, um, they can't vote by mail unless they're hospitalized or, um, or geriatric. So the absentee ballot is very restricted there. Extremely restricted. So, you know, <laughs> I always have this vision of me with my two kids standing in line outside for three hours trying to vote in November in the rain. Like, how is that good parenting? Yeah, I mean, November <laughs> isn't always good. I mean, here in the Bay Area, November is like spring everywhere yeah. else. But, yeah, there are parts of the country, November is not a good day to be outside. Well, and try standing in line with two little kids. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. this is just ridiculous. Like, why would you? If you have the technology to empower people to vote in the course of their daily lives, why are you denying it to them? Yeah. This is just stupid. So... Anyway, there is a reason they're denying it to them, and that's because 61% of the people who are registered to vote in Michigan are a registered Democrat. So then you look at the fact that they have a Republican trifecta, and you're like, how did you get 61% Democrats, and you have both houses and the governor's mansion? How did you? Oh, this is how you do it, because you're proportionately stopping, um, stopping Democrats from voting. So, you know, I'm, and I... I wonder, are they, are they stopping or have Democrats who are still Democrats decided not to vote Democrat? Would you decide? Well, I don't know. I mean, no, I don't, I don't believe so because I believe that they have those values. I don't think there are that many swing voters. But I could totally see some college kid just trying to decide between, you know, the Spanish exam that's going to get them into, the, into the, some graduate program taking, their, taking that or driving home to vote. I could see them picking school. I would have, I would have totally picked school. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I wish I I wish I had more, more insight on that. Um, yeah, because those those things are are very you know again me being a person who likes to look at data, I would I would love to see what that data says because um, I know you know I've, I've family in Michigan. I know there's a lot of people in Michigan who are very unhappy with the way Michigan was being you know, ran for a while. Yeah, and so. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of, you know, here in California, um, people were upset with Gray Davis. Mm -hmm. And then they went Schwarzenegger, and then they immediately went back. And then they the other. Went back. <laughs> yeah, well, and this might happen, but they voted for Trump. 
So, yeah, so this, this is the is thing, is, is that whatever you think at the local, and you see this in Utah where people are like, yeah, we're all going to vote Republican, but not that one. Yeah. You know, that they, if there was ever going to be a viable third party, it would be the state of Utah. So you have that, but, but Michigan, they still voted for Trump. So yeah, this is true. You're, you know, something's going on there, and the gerrymandering itself is just, I mean, nobody looks at, even the Republicans don't look at Michigan and go, they look at it and they go, yeah, that's gerrymandered. You know, I mean, like, if they're willing to admit it. But, you know, their, their whole defense is, well, because we're allowed to do it. Okay, well, we can change that. Let's change that. So, you know, I mean, we're, so we're working in their local because that's where their local needs help as far as we're concerned. John F. Kennedy University goes beyond critical thinking with its master's degree program, Innovation and Creative Technology. Drawing from the fields of design, psychology, neuroscience, and business, John F. Kennedy University's Innovation and Creative Technology master's degree program continues to produce the thoughtful leaders of tomorrow. So let me ask you, I mean, um, the work that you all are doing, has anybody ever not accepted your help? Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Quist. <laughs> so this is our first one when we were unofficial, and he was like, I don't want, I, I'm not a carpet, you know, I don't want to have carpet bagging, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, and this was really early, and Ossoff was getting a lot of flack for accepting money, you know, from California. And even though a lot of that money was like small donations, you know, me giving up dinner. Um, so the Quist campaign, first, you know, they thought it was really great that we wanted to help, but they were worried about the outside money, and they were particularly worried about the outside phone banking, and they absolutely did not want a postcard campaign because they didn't want any postcards from outside Montana. And that was their call, so we didn't write postcards, and we waited on the phone banking and just kept calling, you know, pinging them. Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. We can do it. And we just waited. And we waited until we were, ne we were needed. And then when they got to get out the vote and they realized that they couldn't, with their own internal volunteers, call all those rural people and say, don't forget to vote, because they changed a bunch of the voting places. And it wasn't, like, nefarious. It was just, you know, they weren't available. Um, then they let us. And so then we just hit it like a ton of bricks and called as many people as we could and we were at, and get out the vote you're basically calling to say do you know where your polling place is so you know there's a difference between someone calling and saying hey I want to tell you about this candidate and I really support them and someone saying voting okay do you know where your polling place is can I help you find your polling place or so, are you registered yet yeah because are you registered you, some states um, allow you to register literally up until the day of the election right? yes and then others, California there's a cutoff does. period. Yeah, and uh, Michigan does not. Speaking of Michigan, and that's one of the things yeah, they're trying no. to change. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so there, there's been some pushback. There was pushback in Virginia about, well, you know, uh, there was one that was really funny. Um, Cheryl Turpin's uh, um, opponent, Rocky Holcomb, dug up a flyer that Indivisible Berkeley had put out about a fundraiser that they were having and they're like, they're fundraising in California. And, and we were just, <laughs> we're like, okay. So Indivisible Berkeley at this point is less than 100 people. And they are inviting all 100 of those people, of which 10 will come to a bar <laughs> 
to, to talk about how important, you know, how great Cheryl is and how important this election is and asking those people if they would like to donate on uh, by themselves. But they blow it up to make it look like the entire state of California. The entire state of California. I'm like, they, you know, they probably, I mean, we don't even know what they made because it was all direct donations. It, they didn't collect any money. Indivisible Berkeley isn't a legal entity. They don't do any of this stuff. They just, they just promote stuff. And it was like this little 10 person, 20 person fundraiser. Like a marketing thing. Yeah, it was like a little <laughs> marketing thing. And we're like, wow, we made the opposition research well you know I that that um, another question that I have as you all are doing this work certainly it creates a narrative because you mentioned that you drop carpet bagging right yes. and so you know you had a candidate who's like I don't want to be painted as as somebody who's you know doing that because it would turn off my local voters so how how do you navigate around some of that stuff? Well, that's really from a personal level, which is really the only thing that's important. That the candidate has to decide what what they're gonna what their story is and what they're gonna do. Um, You're not but, gonna do anything without their blessing. Oh God, no! We don't do anything without the resist the local resistance's blessing. So really, the first thing we do is reach out to the local resistance and be like, okay, so peeps. We can do your background. We can what? Here's what we can do. You know, we phone bank. We text bank. We postcard and and then we do some fundraiser promotions. We're, so they're not really fundraisers; they're promotions, um, and you know whatever else they ask us to do that's within the purview. Um, so, but personally, you do have to deal with that because you, you're phone banking, you're calling other Democrats, and most of them, most of them are just curious. And you know, so we'll go back to Michigan because that was the last phone bank I went to. I'm calling for promote the vote, and we get someone, and they're like, "You're in California? Yeah, I'm in California because I'm using my own phone number." Sure. So. Yeah, I'm in California. It's like, why do you care about this? I'm like, well, you guys piloted DMV motor voter. Like, that, that came up. Michigan made those laws and gave them to the rest of the country. So the fact that you can go register at the DMV, you can thank Michigan for that. And this is how I'm going to thank Michigan, because I love that law. I'm going to help them with this other problem. And then when we have a problem, we expect the rest of the country to come help us. How does that sound? It's a mutual aid society. It's kind of like a union. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. So there's always a story. There's always a, and it's not a fake story. People got, we had people flocking to our Virginia phone banks. Yeah, there's, I mean, you, you're, you're yeah. genuinely passionate about this. Yeah, this no, isn't we did you just trying to, No, you know. I, these, yeah. So we had, we had one, and this one always makes me cry. There was a group in Sacramento that um, Cheryl Turpin, who was a science teacher, that, that got pissed off about what they were doing to the Chesapeake Bay after the election and decided she would run because it was time to stop teaching students and start, and start doing, pre practicing what you preach. So there was a group of teachers in Sacramento that had a memorial for an, another teacher. She died a year before of breast cancer and she was a science teacher. So they turned their memorial into a fundraiser for Cheryl Turpin. In, to honor their friend. Wow. So, you yeah. know, they, yeah. they, you know, why are you fundraising for Cheryl Turpin? Because my best friend would have done this had she not died of breast cancer uh, because she didn't have the right health cover. I mean, you know, like there's the whole health cover story as well. So everybody's got these stories, these connections, because of course they do, because these are the people that have our values. So we have a candidate named Mallory McMorrow in, and she's in, um, uh, uh, Michigan. <laughs> She's our sister district candidate. And, you know, we don't know her very well yet, but I'm reading and I'm finding the stuff about her and I'm like, ah, she seems a bit milked, you know, 
I'm not sure about this. She's kind of a white suburban mom and you know, she's just really passionate about like the problems that are happening in Michigan and she just has realized that nobody's stepping in to fix them and she just has to like what a board why am I bored by this story? And someone turns around and goes, Cause it's you <laughs> And I was like, Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, no. She's me. Like this is it, and she's every single one of the people sitting in these in these meetings. Like she's she's stepping up because she's like somebody has to do this, and it's our time, and we must we must help the people that we can help, and I can do this right now. So she's got like a similar story to me. The reason I ended up leading this group is because I have the time to do it, and somebody needed to do it. So you just fill the role that you can fill right now, and Mallory McMorrow can fill this role and she'll be good at it. So, you know, that's definitely something to be passionate about is, is all of these people who could just, you know, go flitting off and volunteer at their kids' school and, you know, join the gardening club and do all the things that we did in 2015. Instead, we're, we're stepping out and we're working towards a better democracy. I mean, what's not to be, what's not to be passionate about there? Yeah, no, I think, I think that issues are really, and it, this is something that you and I were talking about a little bit before we sat down tonight, is that one, the issues are different than they were before. Um, Gary Hart, back in the day, got uh, pretty much ousted out of, uh, you know, running for president because he was caught with, you know, some mistress sitting on his, his lap down. on a sailboat, yeah. right? And, you know, things like that, we don't even blink an eye anymore. Like, that isn't the issue. Oh, we blink. Well, we blink. <laughs> we blink. Maybe, maybe that not, was... Maybe we're just not driving the bus right now. But we're, but we're, we're willing to go, eh. Uh, and we, yeah. we move on to something different, yeah. right? Well, and, and this is what I was telling you about. The sister district research that they sent them all out to do became not as, you know, relevant. Part of the reason was... was Part of the reason why is we were asking people about the issues they ran on in 2016. And they ran on the issues, the, the issue issues. And as Trump is doing these things and pulling these institutions apart and making these, these awful choices, what you ran on in 2016 didn't matter very quickly. Like, you forget, it's not just back in the day. It's a year and a half ago, two years ago, the issues that we cared about electing people on so uh, climate change, okay, right. so Californians really care about climate change. I think a lot of people care about yeah. climate change. <laughs> everybody, so everybody cares, about, but, but, but things have changed drastically. So I'm gonna bring up Michigan again. Um, I got schooled on this by a 25-year-old uh, named Haley who is, uh, is our resident Michigan expert because she's from there and she sits me down and she says, people in Michigan do care about climate change and people here don't get that. And I'm like, well, why don't they get that? And she says, because in Flint, you're wondering if your kid is gonna drink something coming out of a tap that's going to kill them tomorrow. You're not thinking about the world you're leaving your grandkids when your child is gonna die of lead poisoning today. And that's an environmental issue. And what they have to deal with, the reason that they have gotten people in Michigan off of the climate change portfolio and the and and you know Earth Day and all this stuff is because they're poisoning the water. They're actually asking the children to drink, and that has become a priority. And I'm like, well, hell yeah, that's a priority. And she's like, that's climate change in Michigan. 
again, you know, just referencing the fact that I have some family ties back in Michigan. Michigan, they're outdoors people. They, they love the outdoors. They're, you know, they understand the connection of the Great Lakes and yeah. the, the impact that it has on the world. And, you know, they are very tied to beyond the circumstances that have happened in Flint. You know, I've always known folks from Michigan to be very environmentally conscious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I totally believe you. And if you look back before 2014 and this disaster happened, yeah, yeah, you had a lot of that. But in the, I mean. But it's, it's yeah, so emulated even more so yeah. when you have things like that happen. Well, yeah. And, and you're, you're, are you going to rally, you know, if you're going to rally, are you going to rally right now about climate change? Or are you going to rally about stop killing our kids with lead? Which one's more immediate and important if you have to choose which rally you're going to today? Yeah. And this is, that's just an example. This is happening all over the place. So this is what, but yeah, with all of this like manufactured crisis, and now we're pulling out of Iran and, you know, just, <laughs> All of this manufactured crisis is meaning that the, the big policy issues of our day are they're they're taking a back burner to our health and, and safety. And and that is the way it should work. But then this is when we all have to be vigilant and stay active. And it's really one of the things we find really hard is that right now everybody's activated. Every every issue is is coming up and, and we're all going to rallies and we're all going to marches because people aren't organizing in a meaningful way around what they can do because they don't they aren't thinking about how do I organize people to do the stuff so one of the things that that you know if you want to organize whatever your issue is if you want to organize right now in this environment about getting people to do the stuff and if you if they're not doing the stuff and they're just bitching on Facebook then you, you sometimes you just have to walk away so I go I have a whole there's a whole group that I'm involved with um, that are on Facebook and I go on there and they are posting articles and they are complaining and they are are saying you know this is what you this this is this is what's wrong with the world and then I go in there and I'm like but when hey it's time to volunteer for the phone bank right <laughs> <laughs> and this is like not even the phone this is like write postcards I will call you I will tell you exactly how you do it I will send you the postcards you just have to go over to somebody's house and just write the postcards and then the entire thread shuts down for like three weeks until they think I've gone away because they don't really actually want to do the stuff. So now I just go on there just to be annoying and be like, hey, I got something for you to do. Watch, watch. They're going to, they're going to, they're all going to, they're all going to like flee like rats. Well, you know, it, yeah. it's funny that you say that because I, I, I tend to be a very pragmatic and cynical person. And that's one of those things that I constantly, you know, kind of put out there myself is that there's a lot of upset people. Yeah. But not that upset. Yeah, or, or, or they are, or they're just, but it's like, do the stuff. So we have, we do a lot of postcard parties because it's kind of an, an entry into, we hope to scale you up to phone making at some point. So, you know, my daughter's sixth birthday party, we had a postcarding party. So all the parents postcarded and all the kids, you know, ran around the backyard with cupcakes. But it, yeah, it's, it's, and all of them like doing it, but it's that there is a problem with this disconnect of why me? And, and that's really what it is, is that that inactivism isn't because they don't care, it's because they're like, well, why, why me? Why should, why should I do it and why can I do it and why would, you, why would anyone want to hear from me? 
And that's the thing that we have to change across all of our cultures, our, all of the American cultures. And, and I think the key to it is getting people to think about it as local. It's, it's not your calling out to, to, to Georgia. It's, it's, there's a Georgian sitting across from you, and he doesn't know that there's an election on in three weeks, and he doesn't know where to vote. Can you please tell him? Oh, of course I can do that. Okay, that's all we're asking you to do. That's it. it. And then once you get going with that and you realize that everybody has local issues, everybody, and, they're, they're, and they have values, particularly if they're, if they're in your own political party, they have values that you can talk about. And if they don't have those values, they can just hang up on you. And sometimes they do have those values and they hang up on you anyway because they're busy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's that thing of people but are- But you're, you're taking the time and you're making the effort. Yeah, yeah, and, if you, and you need to do the stuff. Like, th whatever it is that you've worked out, it, your activism requires people to do. You need to do it, and you need to do, get other people to come do the stuff with you. And if you're not doing the stuff, we, then, then you're not, it's not working. You know, there's a lot of people who complain. Yeah. Well, it's going to take some effort yeah. to turn it around, to make a difference, to do things differently. And so, you know, that's... That's one of those things that, you know, we talk about the, the Facebook activism, which is, you know, that's great and all that you're going to like a post or share something, but... You and the Russian bots, go for it! <laughs> but you got to do a little bit more than that. Well, and, there, and there's, you know, there's these huge public groups and then there, there are private groups. And really, when they talk about, you know, like, how do you actually do Facebook activism, the pri what I have found is that your own feed is for pictures of your dog, your lunch, and your kids. Leave it, leave it that unless something really irks you. Don't worry about too much about your, there are lots of, almost everybody out there that's got that, like, that's a public personality has a private feed too. The public groups, troll for articles, don't read the comments. Just look for the articles. It's the private secret groups where the work gets done where the activism work it gets organized. So if you're in Flip Nation, if you're in, uh, there's one called um, SWAN, that's Smart Women's Action Network. There's, there's a bunch of uh, Together We Will groups. There are these, clo and we've got one, there's a sister district one, closed groups. Um, and they can be, you know, a couple thousand people, but there's usually only like. But they're all doers. I mean, these are people and, who and are. And those people doing are something. listing. This is what you need to do. This is this is what you do, and this is what you need to read, and this is what you need to think about. And they're usually led by some people who are pretty savvy about, and that's that's their activism is is let's get let's get people educated on how to talk about this stuff. But you know, just like anything, you don't walk into a library. We try to treat we, if we treated the library the way we treat Facebook. Imagine, you walk into the library, throw your arms out, turn around, grab something someone else is reading and go, well, that must be good, you look happy, you know, and, and just kind of randomly, you know, pick a book by color and like, you know, you can't treat Facebook like, like but that's what we do. It's just whatever assaults you at the time, you just kind of read and, you know, and then, and you do it in the between times. If, if you're actually trying to do Facebook activism, uh, and and to to you know get informed, then you need to treat it more like you treat the real library, which is well, what are the rooms and what what, what am I looking for and what is my time set aside to do this, and how do I know that the, that the links that I'm getting you know stop looking at mems and start looking at articles and and checking that they're actually not fake news that they're you know if this is your system. 
the, that's the only thing, that's, there's all of that's going on on Facebook, and it's going on in a bunch of other places, and then the memes are just a just fucking distraction. So it, we can use Facebook, and we use social media for a lot of things. We use social media for pulling people together, for promotions and all that stuff, but we've had to get really targeted about how am I going to use this. And then it's a useful tool. Twitter, I can't work out how 140 characters can possibly be useful for anything but apparently national what? policy and firing people. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it is really just one-liners and trying to one-up the other. Yeah. In of 140 characters or less. In 140 characters or less. <laughs> it's not, you're not going to get any insightful reading. Well, I don't, you know, maybe every once in a while somebody uh, has a short quote that is makes you ponder yeah but usually not but you uh, we have we have so many people that want to get off Facebook now but they, they can't because of their activism because that's where people and we do our group is about 450 people and that is where we get most of the the information and the opinions out of and they all know that our leadership team is listening to them if they're on Facebook so that's the other thing about social media is if you're just shouting to the wind then you're just shouting to the wind. So question, what would you say has been one of your most inspiring successes so far since you've really stepped into, uh, you know, the driver's seat or at least, you know, co-piloting? Yeah, it's all co. And really, it's, it's, you've got to imagine it's more like leaf on the wind thing and there's these grassroots people. My job as, you know, the fearless leader, um, my job is actually to work out what all the people that I'm leading want me to do and make sure that either I'm doing it or I'm finding somebody to do it. So our biggest success so far um, has, well, it's been uh, probably Cheryl Turpin's election. So Cheryl Turpin uh, went for a Virginia delegate. We were about half organized at this point. We're a lot bigger now. Um, and she went for Virginia 85, which was a uh, state legislature seat. It was of the 13 sister district races, and we had two of them. We had her and Kathy Tran. Cheryl Turpin was the only one where the district went for Trump. So in all of the other ones, the district had gone for, for Clinton, but they'd elected, a, put in a Republican for, um, that, for that seat. Cheryl Turpin was up against a Republican in a Trump district. And her key was her ground game. So we learned from, I mean, and I say it's our biggest success because I think we learned the most. And I think that's the most important thing because our, our biggest actual policy success hasn't happened yet. We're just learning how to do this. Um, so we got in there with her. We had this great activist who was, um, she was the leader of Together We Will, which is another resistance group, and that's how we found her, because we partner with, with, at a local level, we partner with all of the local organizations who will have anything to do with us. So we have Together We Will, we have about three indivisible groups, we have one called um, Orange's, uh, Nothing Rhymes With Orange, I think that's, I think it was a, a huddle at one time, we have Solidarity Sundays, all of this stuff. I love the names. I know, I know, they're great. <laughs> um, so, uh, we managed to stitch all these people together under the, the sort of guidance of this person we had never met that was the head of the uh, Together We Will in uh, Shell Turpin's district because we, we, we weren't par partnering directly with the candidate. Um, 
and she worked out a system with us of communicating you know that message that that was that resonated with everybody which is I am you I am I am you I have your values I have you know I have the things you care about Cheryl is you we are all in this together and the first thing we have to do is we have to get Cheryl elected so she can speak for all of us at the local level so we uh, we did um, 30 phone banks um, we did as many texts, um, texts as, I think 20,000 texts, so that was as many as they could get to us. We wrote over 6,000 postcards, um, which we can write a lot more now, but at the time we were like, yeah, that's great. And we raised about $12,000, um, which wasn't, we, weren't, we aren't great fundraisers, we're much more ground game. And then we sent 14, I think we sent about 14 people to Virginia. And there was mostly people who were either from there or they were going anyway, and they just kind of like were like, well, I'm going to be there for business, so I'll go um, canvas. And we finished half of her packets, her canvassing packets. Because when we went, we didn't have anything else to do, so we canvassed for eight hours a day. So that was, and Cheryl won. She won by 300 votes. 300. And you could probably say that you were definitely a part of uh well, you know, that's or is the that thing a, is you don't I feel know. like you don't want to take credit for no, that, but you at least know that, I mean, 300, that's a, that's us. But, but that wasn't the success. The success was that, okay, she owns her, she won because she has good policies and she had a good personality. She had a great team. The success for us was that we pulled all of these people together and we were useful to people who needed our help. We were incredibly useful. She used a lot of other groups. And, and there, so, you know, our slice of the pie is really small, but we were able to do what we set out to do, which was to coordinate across the country with a locality that was about the size of ours and work with other activists that, that agreed with what we agreed with and talk to other Democrats. We talked to so many Democrats, so, and, and probably some that weren't, and talk to them, you know, they have like a phone banking script where you're supposed to say all these really milk water things because, but you know, you're a person, they're a person, you end up talking to them. So we got to talk to them about their values and we learned something. So that was the success, was, the, was all of those connections enhanced our vision of what it is to be a Democrat in Berkeley, which sounds like, well, you don't really need to do that, but we do because what we bring to our local community by doing this is we are out there harvesting this national perspective on our party and we're bringing that home. And so when people in Berkeley are like, why don't we have a universal income, blah, 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 you know all of this stuff, we're like, well, you know, if you're in Virginia, it's kind of more like this. And people in Michigan have said this about, you know, like even that perspective on, yes, people in Michigan are really into the environment, but right now they can't drink the damn water. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so and, you know. And you wouldn't get that kind of feedback otherwise if you weren't involved with the local community. Right, but, but it's not, it's, it's a two-way thing. We're involved in our local community and somebody else's local community. Right. And we're learning and we're bringing their local community. California is a little bit isolationist. I don't know that you've picked that up being from Georgia. No, I'm actually from California. Oh, you're from California, yeah. but you did live. Yeah, so Spent a lot of time people in, Georgia. in California don't realize that they're a little isolationist and that, and I'll tell you something else, Berkeley's a little bit of a liberal bubble. Just really? really? It is. I had not heard. I, you, you know, well, <laughs> it surprises us, but we found that we're a little bit intellectually isolated. <sighs> How did that happen? You and you in Portland, huh? Yeah, just you know, just a smidge. <laughs> so, so you know, 
all of this, it, so we come back to like the wire, how is this local getting involved in other people's local? Because it improves our local. Right. It improves well, our and, and one thing too, I mean, um, I will say having spent a lot of time in Atlanta, most people don't think the South is very progressive. Having lived in Atlanta for a number of years, I will say that they're a very progressive Southern city, all things considered. Um, it, you know, it doesn't really surprise me that you had the success you did with Ozop because as much as there is a voice for you know conservatism and a lot of you know conservative people there there's also another side of of georgia that is you know in atlanta that is very you know progressive and wanting change and doing things differently so yeah well we're finding that everywhere and that's the interesting thing is is you know what progressive isn't defined by berkeley right you know right so and, and nobody in berkeley would ever say that because that's part of being from berkeley is not saying that you're making all the <laughs> so it's a, you know it's an intellectual trap but sure. but yeah no we found um i mean we found incredibly progressive people who i mean i got schooled by someone from michigan on what it's like to be progressive in michigan and so it, it's this but this is the bubble this is our issue our local issue what we have to break is we don't make the rules and 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 we know that while you know it, you have to live that too, which means that, you know, I go around and talk to people about it, at these meetings about what our experiences are like talking to other activists around the country. And when I'm talking to people about all the things that we do, that's the stuff where people sit up and listen and they're like, so you actually talk to people in Virginia. What did they say? How did they feel about this? Well, I knew someone who was from Virginia once and blah, 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 and we end up in these conversations. So, and then the people who are actually not from California kind of step out and they're like, I'm not from here, I have something to say. You know, and, and, they, and you get this, and you remember that California is actually full of people from all over the country because we don't have borders. Um, so, so you, you, you know, and so suddenly your bubble, you're like, oh, it's actually permeable and it's been bursting for a while, but, but you, you know, this is the interesting thing stuff, stuff for our community is these connections that people are making. And we'll go back, I and mean, we've already been talking about our canvassers are talking about when Cheryl Turpin runs again in 2019 because they're off cycle. Um, we'll go back. And whether we go back as sister districts or indivisible or just, you know, the people, because we went and stayed in people's houses. And so we're going to go visit our peeps. Yeah. And be like, yeah, let's go canvas. <laughs> uh, so as, as we wrap up here, um, what would you say is your biggest ambition for what you're doing right now? If, if you could paint the future, how, what would you like to see? Uh, um, beside the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, in our local or, or in Michigan's local? Because in Michigan's local, we got a whole slate lined up I think that really we want to help with. Like for, your, for the organization, for the, for the movement that you're involved in and for, uh, you know, the things that so, you're So, yeah, you're so this is the together. interesting thing about, you know, the, the, it's not really the organization. It's more the disorganization that I'm involved in. I'd like to see that continue. So where I sit in things, and I've talked about I'm part of sister districts, but I've also got a million other hats. I'm part of Postcards to Voters. I'm part of, of Indivisible. I'm part of Together We Will. All of this stuff. I've got all these hats, right? And the, the wiser uh, uh, people um, who have been doing this longer, than, I mean, we've got people in, there who've, in our groups who have been doing this since the 60s, and they're the ones holding the Not This Again signs. Um, have told me that what you really want to get out of it is, it is a nameless, faceless, disorganized network of people who can be activated 
over the, over the things that you care about. So forget about all the hats. The hats are tools. We use Sister District Project to get the, um, the race. They do all of the work on, how, on, on the races that are strategic. So they've got this national plan. These are the strategic races. These are the ones we need to win in order to achieve the thing we want to do, which is get back the house, and which means that I can you know, go back and get a job one day because we have the house again. We have Swing Left, who, who, who also has a strategic plan, and they have their own phone banking things and you know, all of these different tools. We have Postcards to Voters, who, who you know, goes to candidates or goes to activists and, and says, you know, does anyone want, write, anyone want to write a postcard to another voter? Um, those tools are going to evolve into whatever their masters make them. And we need to stay together in the future despite those tools and what happens to them. And we need to build a network of people who are prepared to be activists if we are, if and when we are needed over issues we care about. So not activists all the time, but activists particularly for things like other people's local elections. So we're going to start talking to people more about this idea of, you know, the local is key, um, why states matter, um, get involved in somebody else's local because that's the only way you can enhance yours. You can't engage with the entire state of Michigan. But Mallory McMorrow has a walkable district that happens to have two suburbs in it. One's called Oakland and the other one's called Berkeley. <laughs> Just by chance. <laughs> um, and we can get to know what, what they're, without getting to know like the issues about their turnpike, we can get to know what it's like to be a Democrat there. And we can connect with those people and bring that perspective home. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do is to, is to keep the network that we've built together, whatever the hats do, whatever hat you're wearing. And the hats will change because the issues will change. Sure. So, and then, you know, then you've made some lifelong, lifelong Democrats and not like big D, but like little D. Now we have the roads to participation in our democracy. So as you, as you are out there creating Democrats, the, the big D's and the little D's out there, how do you envision the assembly of that moving forward? I know one of the things we spoke about yesterday, or actually even this evening, was some of the marches that have happened so far. So share with me a little bit your, your insight around marches and organizing. And around the eight million marches that there are right now? There have been a few. There have been, yeah, there have been quite a few. So marches are one of the most important things that, that, have, that happen for organizing. And this is, from my perspective, this is how they work. You know, a lot of people are like, they're fun, you go, and then, then you have one every weekend, and they're not fun anymore, but you have to go, and I'm not sure why I'm here, and we're not accomplishing anything. But actually, if you are interested in being an activist of, of any time, going to a march is just absolutely one of the most essential things that you need to do, because it's recruitment ground. So, if you want to be an activist and you, want to, and, you want to, and you have an issue and you want to lead a group, you need to find your people. We find most of these people at marches. So you need to find people in a way that they will give you a contact so that you can get to them. Even if it's just you're handing out flyers that have your website on it so that they can sign up and you can find them. Marches are essential. You, give, you have people, they have wonderful speeches at some of these things that are are you know getting people riled up about values every single march that i've seen at its core is about one of our values and every single one of those values is is replicated in some policy in the party platform 
Sometimes it translates poorly. We can work on that. But they are values that we share. So you're surrounded by hundreds of people, sometimes tens of people, but often hundreds. If you're lucky, it's thousands, that are concentrating on a value that translates into your activity. Go talk to them. We, we now, I now no longer march, I table. So I table at every single one um, that, that I can get into. And I, the table is like a support table for all of the activists that care about elections. So, you know, I'm tabling for everybody. And mostly what I have at the table is big bags of water for our activists so that, because th they're talking the whole time and they're walking around with clipboards and, and they're from all different organizations. But all of these marches, if you're interested in being an activist, you need to go and you need to use them because it's one of the few times we all get together based on a core value we hold. So use that. Well, thank you so much. Great information. I think that as folks are um, listening to this, they're hopefully inspired to take some action. Where would you recommend they go if they are inspired to do so? <laughs> The dreaded internet. <laughs> it depends on what, I mean, it depends on what it is. So if you want to be involved in elections, by all means, get involved in the Sister District Project and, and jump into somebody else's local. And it's sisterdistrict.com. And you just Google it, sign up on it, and you'll get placed in a, in a group. And you'll be on a, a mailing list, which we all love. So check your spam filter for it. Um, your local indivisible group normally has an elections um, uh, an elections team, particularly in California, they have elections teams. You, so you can join your local Indivisible, just go to their website, sign up. Um, if you're a complete introvert and all you want to do is sit at home and write postcards, um, look up Postcards to Voters. And um, Tony, the Democrat who runs it, is great at revealing through you know, the magic of the internet and um, his Facebook page exactly how he runs that organization. Um, and uh, then there are also the locals. There's all sorts of local democratic organizations. There's democratic clubs, all that stuff. And they're all really active right now. So just sign up and start wading through the newsletters until you find something that someone who's doing something about something you care about. And at the end of the day, it's all about taking action and yes. not just sharing posts on Facebook. Yes, which we all know. <laughs> But the reason people don't do it is because they think that other people don't want to hear from you. And just because someone hangs up on you doesn't mean they don't appreciate your call. So remember that when you are taking action. All right. Andrea, thank you so much. Thanks, everybody, for, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, for this week's Soapbox podcast. And we look forward to having you back. Thank you for joining us for this episode of John F. Kennedy University's Soapbox Lecture Podcast. These and other events going on at John F. Kennedy University can be found by going to www.jfku.edu event. The John F. Kennedy University community strives to provide an exceptional student experience that is engaging and student-focused. John F. Kennedy University students succeed in attaining their educational goals based on their dedication to learning and fueled by their passion to make a difference. For more information about classes at John F. Kennedy University, please go to www.jfku.edu and click the Request Info link. To check out our schedule of upcoming Soapbox lectures or to grab tickets to attend one live, go to www.jfku.edu calendar. All Soapbox lectures are open to the public and we encourage you to join us.